Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. There's this element of like, oh, I have to give my, I have to give my Legos away to people and they're going to go take them and turn them into their own products and, you know, they're going to have ownership over them. It's, uh, it, it's just a pretty wild thing to see. And, you know, you look back to, oh, two years ago, this is very different. We were in a shoebox. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real-world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry. Today we have Haley Million, Director of Engineering at Overlay Analytics. So I'll start off with a little bit about myself, about me. I'll do this very briefly, but um, I graduated from uh, Baylor with a degree in the Management Information Systems. So um, knew that I wanted to go the tech route pretty early. Uh, so MIS is kind of a hybrid between, think about it if, you know, the business school and computer science kind of mesh together. That's what, that's what that degree is. Um, while I was at Baylor, I did a couple internships with ConocoPhillips. So I was working there as um, a business analyst. And then I did another um, internship as more of a software developer. So kind of trying to see what the different pieces of tech look like in larger organizations. Um, after I graduated, I ended up in a Java development position at USAA, um, quickly moved into more of the data space. It just happened to fall that way. And I've been working in data ever since. So, um, you know, not to, not to belabor too much of the about me, but one of my last roles in a larger business intelligence data organization was at Activision Blizzard. Um, I'm a really big gamer, lots of World of Warcraft. Um, so it was really my, my dream job at Blizzard, getting to work on you know, a game that I really loved and has definitely colored the way that I ended up in the startup environment um, because you know, I, was, I was really in basically my dream job. And I decided to drop that and come to a financial services startup where we deal with accounting data. So it sounds like a lot of fun, right? So we'll get into that a little bit more, but we're going to start with the basics here. All right. So what is a startup? What does this even look like? And I wanted to cover this piece because when I came into overlay and I was even considering whether or not I wanted to go work for a startup, I had no idea how any of this worked. You know, you, and I don't know if everybody on the call has seen Silicon Valley, but that was basically what my background was on, you know, hearing about startups. And it's like, oh, you know, if you were in early to, you know, the Facebooks or the Twitters, et cetera, and you hear some of those stories, but you don't really get the full picture of, you know, how do they make money? What does funding look like? How are they valued? Things like that. So, um, we'll start with my, my chart over here. I apologize, guys. Um, but, you know, we, uh, when we're thinking about what it's like to work at a startup, and, you know, you've probably heard a lot of stories, um, probably some negative things, um, maybe about startups being a little cutthroat or, you know, having to work around the clock. And I think some of that can be contextualized around how, how these businesses operate and kind of what they're up against to be successful. So with that, let's look at our investing landscape. So where does the money come from? You have a couple different places that these larger funds might come from to invest in certain companies. 
So things like university endowments, um, you know, you may have heard the, the Yale Endowment Fund um, talked about a lot. Um, one of the more popular ones, you know, maybe it's family offices, um, maybe they're institution-based or even, you know, very wealthy individuals that are contributing to these startups. So you have all these investments. And I think one of the most important things that investors are gonna look at is they wanna make sure that they're diversifying across their asset classes. So you want a good mixture between your returns and liquidity of your money. So we'll start in the bottom right corner. You've got your cash. That's gonna be your most liquid. There's not a lot of time that you have to um, wait before you can take your money out essentially. Um, and so that's where we'll, we'll move and how, how available is your money to you? How long do you have to wait to make more money off of this investment? So next to that is your equity and fixed income. So an example of equity like this would be buying a share of Apple or buying a share of Facebook. Um, so, you know, you could buy that and, you know, buy that on Robinhood or something like that. And then you could turn around a couple of days later and sell that stock. So not a lot of time investment, but also maybe not as large of a reward. So we're moving up the, the reward ladder here. So we get to private equity. And private equity, you're gonna have usually, I would say, you know, five to 10 years of your money being tied up in private equity. You know, you're hoping to get a certain return. Um, you know, hopefully that return is larger than what you would get off of, you know, buying out of the stock market, but it's not gonna be as high as venture capital. So venture capital, so this is the, you know, the really shiny form of investments. This is, you know, if you've watched any shows about startups like Silicon Valley, everybody's chasing after the VC investors. And so with VC investments, they might look at something like, okay, I'm gonna go invest in 10 different companies. And out of those 10 different companies, you know, five of them might fail completely. I won't get any return out of them. And then, you know, four of them may do okay. Maybe I get a 100% return. That's, that sounds great. But really what they're betting on is that there's gonna be this one unicorn, this, you know, one company that does so well, you've got those billion dollar valuations, you're making 1,200 or 2,000% return. Um, so that's really, that's the venture capital game. And you might've heard the term dry powder thrown out a lot. So it's the idea that there's all this money, all this cash and liquidity out there ready to be injected into these different companies. So um, with that, uh, and again, feel free to, if there are any questions that I know I might miss a part in here, um, but what makes a startup attractive to these VC firms? So we're talking about finding these unicorn companies. If you're a startup, how do you attract these people? And really what it comes down to for the first part and you know, getting that initial round of investment is one, are there the right people behind the startup? So do they have the vision? Do they have kind of the, um, do they have the background that they could be successful in this? Um, and then how, what does their leadership look like? Do they have a good track record? And the other side of that is something called the total addressable market or TAM. And it's basically what is the total revenue opportunity of this idea? You know, you don't want to think small. You want to think what is the what is the largest market that we can capture? So those are really the two things that you know. Getting that initial investment, that's what you're going to be focusing on. 
Do I have this big market to go after? And do I have the right people running this business? From there, we go into our funding rounds. I think this was one of the things that was most interesting slash, you know, something I didn't really know a lot about before I got into a startup. And so, you know, maybe you've gotten in, you have a good total addressable market, and then you have good people behind your idea. And with this first round of funding, it's usually friends, family, you know, a close circle. Um, they're going to be funding, you know, those initial employees just to get you off the ground. So not a lot of money coming in. And this is usually what's called your angel investor or your pre-seed. So you're really in the stage of proving that you can do something um, and just kind of trying to get it off the ground. So while you're in that pre-seed, you know, you're building your product there, but you have to start thinking about that next stage of funding. What does it look like? How am I going to start attracting these larger investors? And that's really where you move into the VC area. So you see on this chart here, you know, we have, we have this area here, it's, you know, seed capital and then, you know, angel investors, and then you're moving into early stages. And so this first, second, and third, you've probably heard things like series A, series B. Um, that's going to be, you know, the first round series A, second round series B. So those are your, your very early stages. And with each of these series rounds of funding, your company is going to become a little more institutionalized, a little more structured. Um, but with that, you know, moving out of moving out of the pre-seed range and into kind of like the the real game with the VCs and now they're they're hunting for these you know really great ideas. Um, you have to start addressing not only can we do something, but do people want to buy it? And you know maybe we have this really big market, but are people actually going to buy this thing that we're building? And you have to sell them on that so much that you know they want to fund the whole team versus you know those two or three salaries that you're funding with your angel investments. So it's a really interesting thing, um, you know the the true like dichotomy of power and the the shift that you start to see with you know early stage you're pretty much looking for anybody that'll fund your project and then you know you start to see that flip and everybody wants to be involved if you're successful. Um, so just moving, moving along this line here. Um, so the biggest thing, and we'll get into valuation next, some of the next pieces here, and you know, you've, you've raised these funds, you need more money at some point to keep growing. And how do you measure, um, how do you measure the valuation around that? And, you know, who should, who's going to be interested in, um, in pouring more money into your company? And so this is where you get into a lot of those valuation numbers. With this, you've probably heard, especially recently, all these crazy valuations for startups and, oh, the market's just going wild. And really what this is, um, what this is coming from is this multiple over here gets changed depending on growth. So, you know, you want to look at your total value, but for SaaS, it's a little bit different. So SaaS being um, software as a service, so you can think your, you know, your Salesforce and your big tech companies. And when we talk about value, it's very different from you know your typical brick and mortar or you know maybe um, manufacturing companies, things like that. When we're talking about valuation of manufacturing companies and very typical companies in that sense, they usually use something called EBITDA. So that's your earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. 
And I know we're all accountants in the room and that totally made sense. So what you can really think of it as in simpler terms is your annual net profit. So all of your, your money after costs which makes a little bit more sense for valuing a company. You want to know how much they're making after they paid for all their cost of goods and their services, things like that, but completely different world for startups. So what you're concerned with for your startups is your annual recurring revenue. So how much money are you bringing in over the year? And then you're multiplying it by this multiple, which is based on growth. So how fast are you growing? How quickly are you accruing that additional ARR? Um, and it seems, it seems a little crazy to do it that way, but the reason they do it based on revenue instead and don't take in that EBITDA or that net profit number is usually with a startup, you're trying to grow so quickly that any cash or revenue that you're making, you're pouring right back into the company because you want it to grow quickly. You know, you're building up the team, you're, you know, finding more office space, things like that. So um, very different, just, and I call these things out just because it's, uh, it's a different way of looking at things and something that I definitely didn't know before, uh, before I joined. Um, so so why, would, why would you want to join a startup? And I think one of the most important things for me was really controlling your own path. Um, when I was you know, working at USA or working at Activision, you know, I came in as I was an analyst and I had a very specific set of tasks that I was doing, um, couldn't really go outside of that. Um, and then you also have pretty strict promotion cycles in a lot of places. So I know a lot of um, companies that I've seen or you know, heard from friends, it's, you know, you're gonna have to wait at least a year and a half to get promoted or it's gonna be two years or you know, there are a couple of people in front of you that have to go through the promotion cycle first. And you know, if you're coming out, maybe you, you really like to work or you, know, you really wanna move quickly through something and progress, it's a, little, you know, it's a little disheartening to have that feeling like you can't move forward until other people do or you have to wait a certain amount of time. Um, so the startup, I won't say that it's you know, night and day, but really depending on when you join the startup, um, you, know, you, you are in control of your own destiny depending on uh, on the output really. Um, and then same kind of uh, thought here with the meaningful work. Um, I come from a data background, so I don't know if this example will necessarily resonate with everybody, but um, I think, and it's kind of a, a meme of sorts too, I've definitely seen it on LinkedIn, but you, know, you spend a lot of time building out a dashboard and you know, you're, you're ready to show this dashboard to your stakeholders and you think you found some really great insights, you spent so much time formatting it, formatting it and you know, maybe you, you publish it out to the Tableau server, you present, it to, um, you present it to your stakeholders and then you go to visit it in a couple of weeks and it's got five views and four of them were you checking the data and one was the day that you actually presented it. Uh, it's like, oh man, why did I pour, you know, weeks of work into, you know, this specific piece all for it to not really mean anything. And so I think that's, you know, startup specifically because you're dealing with those funding structures and because you have to be really cognizant of that cash flow and making sure that you're making the right decisions with that money. Every task has to be intentional. 
busy work's not a thing. If you've ever washed the clock before while you're at work, that's not really a thing either because the work's still going to be there at the end of the day, no matter if you're at your desk or at home. It's, uh, and it really depends on what you want. If, if that's something that you know, resonates with you, then startup might be for you. And then the last piece on the why is really the opportunity. Um, and this will go into the timing a little bit, but, um, you know, opportunity and the controlling your path pieces are definitely dependent on when you join the startup. Um, for me, I was the third hire and the first, um, first engineering hire outside of the CTO. So I have a little bit of a skewed vision on, you know, how early you should come into a startup. Um, but with that, you know, and being that early, and I don't think this is, I don't think you have to be the third person. I think it's still true at the 10th or the 15th that you're always going to be wearing a lot of hats when you're in a company that small, which leads to a lot of opportunities. So it's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword. Of course, you have a lot of responsibility. You're you know, going to be doing a lot of different things, a lot of time, but you're also going to be exposed to a lot of different technologies if you're on the tech side um, and also leadership. So I think that's, that's been a big thing for me here specifically is, you know, I came in as an IC or an individual contributor. I was hired on as a senior data engineer. And then, you know, six months in, uh, my, uh, I guess the, the CTO, my manager at the time was like, how do you feel about managing? It's like, that sounds awful. And he's like, great. That's why I think you should do it. Okay. Uh, it turned out to be a good thing. So a lot of opportunity. Um, the picture I have up here, and I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, I know we're it's, it's moving quickly here, but um, it was the Snowflake Startup Challenge. For, so for those of you on the data side, Snowflake is a uh, data warehousing company. Um, and in 2021, they hosted the first inaugural Snowflake Startup Challenge. And it was you know, if you win, we will invest $250,000 in your startup. And I remember the day they, we were passing the link around in Slack and it's like, we have to make a video. They were like five minute video pitch. I'm like this, we don't have time for this guys. Um, and we ended up doing it and we got the notice that we were, you know, top 10 semifinalists. Like there's no way. Um, so we went through this whole thing we were it was basically shark tank style mike um we pitched to the judges so it was a live pitch um over zoom but live pitch and you know they it was true shark tank asking questions and it was one of those moments like okay if i had if i had stayed in my you know relatively safe you know industry job i i wouldn't have ended up here and so and specifically at overlay um my my bosses and you know our CEO or COO have been um, they've always involved me in a lot of different things like even pitching for our funding rounds. So going back to you know we've got to get our seed investments. You know we we've got to get on the phone with all these VCs. Um, I got to go with them and absolutely nerve wracking. But one of the best experiences. You know I'm. I'm an engineer and usually get left in, in the basement um, to do all the coding. But, um, you know, with a startup, you get a lot of these opportunities and they're all around because you're a really small group and you've got to get it done. So, so the experience here and I'll, I'll try to hop through these a little, a little quicker, but, um, you know, when 
when I started, well, when I found Overlay, I found them on LinkedIn. Um, and for some transparency there, uh, Blizzard had gone through a large number of layoffs in early 2019. And I was very lucky to make it through the layoffs, um, but it definitely changed the culture. You know, everybody was afraid. There were rumors of second rounds. Um, it was just, it was really different. Um, I was out in California. My boyfriend and I had moved out there and, you know, we were already wanting to move back to Texas. And it was just really unsettling that, you know, you had just seen your coworkers come in and lose their job in one day, you know, not even be able to grab their belongings before they, they were walked out by security. And, and maybe it's time to find something else. So I admittedly spam applied everywhere on LinkedIn um, and didn't even really remember uh, applying for overlay, but you know, got the call back. And you know, this is a little bit on the, the timing of things, uh, but I when I initially interviewed with them, um, you know, we we went through a couple rounds and I decided not to join. It was I would have been the first technical hire. And I just didn't feel like I was at a place where I could be successful with that. Um, and definitely was a little nervous uh, joining, joining a startup at that, at that point. So it wasn't until six months after that um, we, they, they reapproached and it's like, okay, okay, you know, you've hired a CTO now, we'll, we'll reevaluate here. And so, you know, got the offer and it's like, okay, do I want to, do I want to leave Blizzard now? You know, what was it going to be like? And so of course then ensued the, you know, Reddit threads, medium articles, what is it like working for a startup, reading all of these absolute horror stories and, you know, it's, it's pretty scary. Um, so I, and I had people telling me too, after I decided to take the job, coworkers telling me that I was making a terrible decision. That was a lot of fun. Loved that. Um, on top of the fear of coming to uh, a no-name startup. So, um, and then early days here. So, and this is an actual picture that they actually left me a note next to my desk. When we first started out, we were in an absolutely tiny office um that we somehow fit five desks into like ikea you know sit stand desks we're all sitting next to each other it was yeah it was it was a lot of fun in retrospect but absolutely the wild west so um for for my engineers in the room we had no git repository um no no task management nothing no slack um, we were on a tool called Basecamp, but we mostly just emailed around. Um, yes, Katie, it was, it was wild. Um, and we were basically just in the business of getting client work done. But yeah, like I said, I started as a, started as an IC, I was a data engineer, um, but did pretty much everything from, yeah, I remember being asked to update the website for the first time. It's like, oh, okay. Like sure, I guess I can. I wrote some HTML like ten years ago. This will be fine. Um, so it's just kind of a wild ride of you know you have so much responsibility because you know you're trying to make this thing happen, but there's also so much freedom with it. You know we would like oh yeah I'm gonna cut out early because I'm gonna work later tonight. Um, so it's uh, it was it was just a completely different environment. But I think the the thing that was 
really defining for, especially in those early stages, is, you know, we got to create the full culture around this company. And it, it was little things too, like, and you wouldn't normally think of, you know, things like, okay, how are we going to celebrate work anniversaries? Or how are we going to celebrate birthdays? How will we do team building? You know, those are things that were always taken care of by somebody putting something together. Um, and now, you know, needed to make sure that everybody got their favorite gift card on their birthday. Um, and then with that too, it's, you know, you do eventually have to hire people. Um, I remember when we were making, um, I was asked to make the first hire for my team, absolutely terrified. Um, we were, you know, trying to find people and selling people to come work for a startup is so difficult. Um, like, guys, I promise this is great. It's awesome. We're doing really cool stuff and you're hyping it up and you just feel like, you know, some crazy salesperson. Um, but we found our I guess, second technical hire on Reddit. Um, so it was absolutely a last ditch effort. We were posting, we were trying to find a data engineer. So we're on the SQL subreddit, just like posting and, you know, people will rip you apart on there when you're trying to, trying to hire people. And, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for this person now, you know, we have to make sure that we have the cash flow to make sure that, you know, he has a job, um, you know, you're, you're taking on that responsibility as well. But it was so much fun. Um, looking back, there were definitely some very, very difficult times. Um, I have my significant other on this call. I'm sure he's sitting here uh, thinking back to a lot of tears, um, a, lot of, a lot of very difficult um, pieces through this and just trying to navigate everything and you know, all, all very new things that I hadn't really encountered before, especially from a, a leadership uh, position. And then current stage, so, um, and we did the nice little office photo shoot a couple months ago, so that's where all these pictures are from. Um, but things happen pretty quickly. So those early days that I talked about, that was that pre-seed round. So, you know, our, it's kind of the friends and family type thing, you know, not our real funding, but then, you know, current stage, we're currently in our seed round. We went through the venture capital funding um, we did so many pitches, um, you know, you get told no so many times and then, you know, you find the investor that understands what you're doing, is excited, gets the vision behind it and really how it's going to be a great product. So things really happen quickly and you know, we won the Snowflake Startup Challenge, we got our seed round fully funded and then it's time to hire and I'm a terrible recruiter. Um, so the idea that we needed to build out a full engineering team was absolutely horrifying. But this January, we doubled our engineering team. One month, we had people starting every Monday in January. So we would kick off these like welcome to overlay uh, boot camps where we take everybody through everything. And it's a really interesting and kind of scary thing, um, especially being early on, is like I said, we didn't even have a Git repository. And you know, looking back, it's like I I stood a lot of those things up. There, you know, these projects were, you know, were mine. I had a lot of ownership over them. And now we're hiring all these people. We have a full department. And there's this element of like, oh, I have to give my I have to give my Legos away to people and they're gonna go take them and turn them into their own products. And you know, they're gonna have ownership over them. And it's uh 
it, it's just a pretty wild thing to see. And, you know, you look back to, oh, two years ago, this is very different. We were in a shoebox. But uh, it's it's really cool to, you know, move out of the day-to-day stuff and be more focused on the product. And, you know, we can do really cool things like, you know, recruit from colleges and we can bring on college hires now because we do have that stability. And so lots of back to that opportunity piece, um, lots of opportunities around there. So yeah, who will succeed at a startup? I think this one's a little bit tough and it's also dependent on the timing. Um, I know I made a couple of jokes about uh, working a lot of hours, um, but, you know, to be completely honest, it's, it's not a nine to five. Um, and I think it's important to call that out. You know, it, it might not be for everyone. Um, I think it's important to, you know, if you're looking for a startup, finding one that aligns with, you know, your, your values on that side. Um, I think, I think there are, there's a good middle ground there that can be found, but I think it's really important to be honest with yourself about, you know, your time and emotional commitment that you want to have to your job. Um, because, you know, especially being early on, you know, it's hard to keep yourself from being, you know, letting it overtake your life. Um, I think it's a little bit of a different story down the road. I know, you know, with, with my engineers specifically, you know, I, I don't want them working nights. I don't want them working weekends. There's no reason that we can't, you know, at the stage that we're at now, there's no reason that we can't get the work done during the day. There will still be times where, you know, we are a startup, you know, you might have to log in later, but we keep those very few and far between. Um, and we're not, I mean, we're still in a seed stage. So it's not to say that it's really the difference between, you know, being one of the first few employees and, you know, waiting out and being like the eighth or ninth engineer. Um, so I don't, I don't think it has to be a, a deal breaker on the, on the nine to five piece. Um, and then when's the right time to go to a startup? So right time in the sense of how old the startup is and then right time for you in your career. Um, I think, you know, the, the years that I spent at USA and Blizzard, I had some really great technical mentors and they really, you know, between best practices and, you know, just having that support, hearing from their knowledge was so important for getting me ready for this work. Um, and I think the thing to note is you may not have that kind of support in startups. I know that as we've been trying to build out our engineering team, um, we've made sure that there is, there is that mentorship level. So, you know, for any engineers coming in, they do have that and know how important it is. But, you know, some startups may not have that luxury uh, to, to have the, the mentorship. So, you know, making sure that you're, you're ready before you make the jump. Um, when I look back at where I was before I came to Overlay, um, there were kind of some signs that I think lend well to this. And, you know, it was, I was always wanting to wear a lot of hats and do other disciplines roles. Um, I was always trying to do data engineering stuff because I wanted to take my projects from essentially cradle to grave. Like, okay, I wanna go pull my own data and I'm also gonna do my transformations, but I wanna be the one that presents it. Um, and I think if you're having those feelings, then, you know, it startup might be a good place for you. Um, and then two is if you're feeling a little stifled by the technology stack, that's something that's been really cool here is, you know, you find something cool, it's a matter of like, hey, um, can I get the credit card? We're getting this new tool. And that's how, you know, 
a, a lot of stuff has come about for us, you know, take, you know, we use GitLab, it was a matter of, hey, we need to get repository, I'm just gonna, we're gonna choose one. And then, you know, tools like, like DBT, for instance, for, for the data folks in the room, um, you know, that's, it might be a hard sell at some larger companies, but, um, you know, you can move pretty quickly in a startup and there isn't as much red tape. Um, so how do you find a startup? It's right for you. So built in is some, it's a, it's a website, but um, it's really a community of startups. When a startup joins, they have to, you know, they have to pay to be on the website, but they take you through all of these different questionnaires and they're super in depth. Um, so this is just a quick uh, screenshot from our site on built in. So we have, you know, Q and A with some of the people that we work with and then, you know, perks and benefits. And so it gives you a really good idea of, you know, what the culture is like, what the values are just by looking at these different pieces. Um, so it definitely encourage that. Um, LinkedIn as well, I call that out because, um, I mean, I found overlay on LinkedIn by, by chance, but there are a lot of different, different groups out there for, for finding startups. And then last, but certainly not least, Women Who Code, uh, we have, we have a job postings area and I know too, there, there are a lot of um, people in the Slack that either work for startups or have worked for startups that um, are always happy to either chat about them or get you connected with, with their groups. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.